All right, get your Bibles open. We've got, we're winding this series down. We've been in I-54, uh, Isaiah 54, and uh, we're up to verses 4 and 5 today, and I want us to, to read those together. Isaiah 54, verses 4 and 5, and today the word is partner. Last week, uh, we were talking about how God wanted us to believe, and what did He want us to believe? We're going to find that in verse 4. He says, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. He says it again. There's not going to be any disgrace for you. You'll no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. I I find it amazing that when God gives a promise of enlargement and blessing, the first reaction in our heart is fear. Isn't that interesting? Think about that for a minute. God says, I'm wanting you to build. I'm wanting you to enlarge. I'm going to bless you with so many kids, you're not going to know what to do with it. As soon as we hear that, the first thing God has to address in our hearts is fear. Why do you think that is? Isn't that amazing? You know, Chris was talking about time for change. Uh, Last week I said about crossing over. You can't get from where you are to where you want to be unless you cross over. Uh, Everybody likes what the future looks like. Everybody likes that, that, you know, that vision of a better place. Are you with me? We all want to be there. But the problem is we have to let go of where we're at to get where, to where God wants to take us. And immediately we're confronted with fear. And I think the reason that we're confronted with fear is we've all had failures in our life. Am I speaking to the right crowd? We've all failed. And we all know our weaknesses. And maybe you've even had failure in the area that God's asking you to step out and believe Him again. And you're like, I can't believe you again. This is like a bad nightmare. Don't you remember the last time I tried to step out and I fell flat on my face? Um, so instantly the Lord says two times over, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Well, why not? Why should I not be afraid? Because your guilt, your shame, your disgrace, those embarrassing moments in the past, I'm going to wipe them all away. And I hope last week we had a, a great response and I know there's testimonies out here. I'd love to hear them. We got lot, you got lots of ways to communicate with your pastor. Call me on the phone, send me a text, do, send me an email. Uh, instant message me. Hit me on Facebook. There's lots of ways. I love to hear what God is doing in you personally. You know, even as I shared last week about some areas of my own shame. Uh, and by the way, I heard many of you say, Pastor, thanks for sharing that, because here's the cool thing about testimonies. When we're open and transparent with our stuff, it gives other people permission to be open and transparent with your stuff. And when you're open and transparent, guess what happens? You get healed. That's why our marriage class, for one, has been so effective over the years, because guess what? It just all gets thrown out there on the table. And then you guys know what I'm talking about. Once it's all out there, it's like, I remember, Luke, when you came to marriage class uh, and your marriage was hurting, you guys needed some healing. Pastor had had Luke out, but come on up. When Luke got up there, man, he just started out, started coming, all the hurt, all the brokenness, all the pain. And guess what happened? God healed their marriage. Because they brought the shameful things to light. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you. You know, the way that you move forward in faith is to make sure that there's no strings attached to your life. There's no hidden areas. There's no things that you're like, man, I can't let anybody know that. Because if they know that, you know, what are they going to think? I shared with you last week, who cares what people think? Get delivered from what people think. There's only one opinion that matters. It's God's opinion. There's only one opinion that, that, that is of any importance, and it's God's opinion. And I shared last week, God knows everything about you. And here's the cool thing, and he's still crazy about you. He still loves you. 
He's still for you. He's not against you. He's a forgiver. He's merciful. He's so kind. And, uh, and he's a redeemer, as we're going to talk about today. So here's the beauty of it. God is inviting us out. He's inviting us to cross over. Remember I said last week, the definition of a Hebrew is one who crosses over. All right? Children of Israel had to cross over from Egypt into, uh, into the promised land, or into the wilderness, and then from the wilderness into the promised land over the Jordan. So we are going to be people that are going to be called upon to keep crossing over, keep moving past those obstacles in our life. We also said last week that shame and and guilt and fear have a way of poisoning our past, propagandizing our present because the devil starts chirping. He'll always tell you things and lie to you about everything that you're still is not unresolved in your heart. And he will beat your brains out with the lies that he tells you. He's a propaganda machine. The only way to shut up the propaganda machine is to Deal with your unresolved guilt. Deal with your fears. Deal with those areas of shame. And then we said, this is the worst thing, and I want you to hear this. If you don't deal with fear and guilt, you'll never be able to respond to the word of the Lord that we just heard today about change. Because if you don't deal with unresolved guilt and shame, it paralyzes you for your future. You cannot move forward. And many people get stuck. And I'll just say this. Some of you that have gone through traumatic childhood experiences, all right? Things that happened to you when you were just a kid. If you're still stuck with what happened to you when you're just a kid, you will never, ever reach the full potential that Christ died for you to achieve and to become. Because you'll never move ahead. You get stuck. I've seen this happen. People get stuck. Something shameful happens when they were a kid. Uh, I had a situation one time when a man told me about something he was incredibly embarrassed about sexually. He was just a teenager when when this all happened. But that thing still kept him under wraps. It still kept him from, from being the leader that I knew God had called him to be because he was embarrassed and shamed about what had happened. So the best way to beat the devil's brains in is just to take all that junk, bring it out wide open, as stinky as it is, open yourself up, bring it to the cross, let the blood of Jesus wash it and cleanse it. God says it's done, you're forgiven, move on. And then you know what you do at that moment? You believe him. And every time the enemy brings that up, the propaganda machine tries to go, just say, Lord, thank you for your blood. Thank you that you died to set me free. Thank you, God, that that's a thing of the past and that I'm a new creature in Christ. That's what you say over and over and over again until the devil gets tired of being reminded about the blood of Jesus because it's the blood of Jesus that's sending him to eternal damnation, all right? He doesn't like being reminded about the blood of Jesus. So just, just make his day, all right? Remind him about what a loser he is and where he's going and all that Christ has done for you. But here's the deal. I want to get to verse 5 today in the time that we have left, and I'm going to hit this quick. Verse 5. Notice the transition here. He says, fear not, no longer in shame, don't be afraid, no more disgrace. You're not going to remember the shame of your youth. And there's a three-letter word there in verse 5. For. Everybody say for. This is so good. For. In other words, this is why you need to believe what God is saying. How many of you know we are not trying to live the Christian life in our own strength by ourselves? Thank God. I so appreciated Sarah and Vanessa's testimony. Thank God for the body of Christ. I can't tell you how grateful I am for you, for your relationship and impact on me, on my wife, on my kids, on my mom and dad, on my extended family. I don't know where I would be or what I'd be doing if it were not for the body of Christ. How about you? I'm grateful for you. But I'll tell you what, I'm also grateful. I'm not on this journey by myself. We have a covenant partner with us. 
We have somebody who has partnered together on everything that he's asking us to do. He's bringing the full weight of all that he is. Now, this is so important. If you were to go into business with someone, and let's just say uh, you were broke, and you were going into business with someone, you would hope that the person you were going into business with was not broke like you, or you're not going to get much accomplished. You would hope that the person you're partnering with had lots of resources. In fact, let me just say this. The person with lots of resources in their right mind would not be partnering with you if you were, if you were broke, because here's why. We have nothing to offer. Now, here's the amazing thing about Christianity. The one who has everything partners with those who have nothing. We're the ones bringing nothing. We reach in our pockets, broke. We look at our righteousness, no righteousness, filthy rags. We got nothing to offer in this deal. And yet the amazing thing about the gospel is the one with everything partners with those with nothing and brings us in as full partners in this deal so that his riches become mine. And how about this? My debt and my my, uh, problems and my sin and my mess, he willingly assumes and pays it all and washes me clean. I mean, you know, that's a good deal that we got going on here. So check out, this is God's resume, and this is how he's encouraging them to believe him. And this is a good word for us this morning because God wants to encourage us to believe him in the same way. Listen to what he says. I'm going to hit these quick. God gives six identities or six names of who he is and what he does that he brings to the table here. Number one, he says, I'm your maker or I'm your creator. I love Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are God's masterpiece. In the Greek, it's, it's where we get our word poem from. We're God's poems. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. This is amazing. God says, look, the reason you can trust me and have faith and confidence in me is I made you. And I didn't just make you, but how many of you know when someone writes poetry... You don't sit and write poetry like you balance your checkbook. Are you with me? Elmer, you're, you're, you've had heart gushes before where you write amazing things. You've written poetry over your kids. You've written poetry to your wife. Come on, Wendy, that's true, isn't it? Has it touched your heart? It's been good. I've heard some of Elmer's poetry before. Some of you in this room, you, you, you write like that. How do you write? I'll tell you when a poet, when a poet writes when they have, they're overcome with emotion or feeling or something that's, that's stirring in their hearts. And then out of their mouth or out of their pen comes this amazing poem. Listen to me. The Bible says you and I are God's poems. Where did we come from? I'll tell you where we came from. We came out of the overwhelming gush of emotion and affection that is in the heart of God, which means this, God knows you and has designed you for a specific purpose. Your life is a work of art that is meant to express something great about who God is. So when God says, don't be afraid, stop being guilty, put away the shame, he's saying, look, I made you, I created you, I designed you for my glory. In other words, how many of you know when, when when you, when you create something for a certain purpose, there's an expectation that it works. If any of you have built something and put something together and you plug it in, there's an expectation that the thing's going to run. Listen, when God built you, formed you, fashioned you, knows your good works from before they even happen, there's an expectation on your life that you express at the heart of God and the purpose of God for why you exist. This is amazing. Every single one of us is a unique expression of the poetry of God over your life. 
You're a masterpiece. So God says, trust me, I made you, I know you, and I love this. His name is the I am. How many of you have seen that in Scripture? When God reveals himself, he says, well, who are you? He says, I am. Now check this out because I want you to get this. If you were introducing yourself this morning to somebody and you said, hi, I am Ron. What is your name? In other words, who am you? All right. I'm not speaking or correct English here, but you get it. Check this out. You cannot even self-identify without giving God glory. Because you can't say who you are without mentioning his name. I am, I am Ron. I come out of the I am. My existence flows from him. You can't even say hi without giving God glory. Isn't that amazing? Because he is the I am of which everything else that is finds its source. So there would be no I am anything if it wasn't for the original I am. And so God is the creator of all that is. He's the I am. He's the one that gives life and expression to you. So why is it that you can be confident about God's purpose for your life? Because he is the I am. And he has something he wants you to do and express. Isn't that awesome? So we get our eyes back on him. My existence comes from his existence, which means I'm going to live for him, and I'm going to live from him, for him, from him. It gets better, though, because he moves beyond maker and creator, which is awesome. But then look at the next word that we find in this text. The Lord says, I'm your husband. I mean, you know, this is the most intimate relationship known to human beings, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And God says, I am your husband. Now, let's put this in the good context. I'm not putting it in a bad context because earthly marriages are, are broken many times. They're, they're, they're less than God-honoring many times. But as God intended marriage to be, how many of you know when we think of covenant relationship, we think of passion, we think of purity, we think of, we think of single-minded devotion. And when God says that about you, this is what he's saying. My heart burns with passion for you. I am absolutely committed to you. My, my passion for you is on fire. My, the purity of my devotion to you is unquestionable. And you are the apple of my eye. I cherish you with everything that's in me. I mean, you know, that takes the whole creator thing, which is awesome and awe-inspiring, but it brings it right down into our hearts and where God says, look, I, I made covenant with you. I'm your covenant partner. If anybody touches you, they touch me. This is a husband who is fiery in his love for his bride. So God says, why can you trust me? Because I'm your husband. Don't mess with my lady, all right? We are the bride of Christ. He, there's nothing that, that it brings about a greater sense of passion and fire in, in, in Jesus' heart than you and I corporately together as his bride. He shed his blood to purchase a bride. And when he says, stop fearing, you can trust him. There's times in my own marriage, Marion and I have loved each other to life, but one of the things she struggled with early on was fear. And there were times when it was my loving uh, leadership, but strong leadership, which helped set her free from fear. Um, Guess what the Lord's loving, strong leadership does? He says, come on. 
You can do this. We can do this. You're with me. I got this covered. Come along. Uh, And that's what he invites us to do. And so he's our maker, our creator. He's our husband who rejoices over us. In fact, Isaiah 62 verse 5 says this, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You just, some of you just need to feel rejoiced over today. You know, you're going through life. It might not be, you know, you might be struggling with some things. You might be struggling with your own marriage. I, I get calls every week, and there's relationships that are struggling right now, trying to get men to get this picture in their own hearts so they can love their wives properly. I get it. I get it. But just listen to me. Why don't you pause for a moment today and just dwell on the thought that God doesn't tolerate you. He celebrates you. That God rejoices over you. You personally bring God joy. I mean, just think about that for a minute. You personally bring God joy. Right here, right now, right where you're at, whatever mess you might be in or wrestling, right now, you bring the heart of God joy. That, that, will, that will set you free if you'll just meditate on that truth right there. Number three, the Lord says, I'm your protector, because here's his name that he gives in this text. He says, I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the Lord of the armies of heaven. Now, this is amazing to me, because in our nature and attributes of God class, which some of you have taken, we talk about the names of the Lord, how God reveals his character through his names. And I could have thought a million other names would be given for the Lord. Like, what would be God's favorite reference to himself? We could think of a lot of names. But do you know... That this name, the Lord of Heaven's Armies, is used ten times more than all the other names of God combined. This is crazy. 282 times in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as our warrior king. How many of you know, you don't want to mess with God. He will kick your butt. I'm just telling it like, I'm talking street language, all right? He will, he will, you do not want to mess with him. 282 times he says, I'm the man. I'm the, I'm the general of heaven's armies. You don't want to mess with me. In fact, God takes care of most of his work on earth by sending like an angel. One. How many of you read those passages in the Bible? One angel pff, wiped out the whole army. One. God just yawns. Everybody ah, shakes their fists at God. Psalms 2. God laughs. He giggles. I mean, this guy's serious, all right? He he. And how many of you know, when you're in covenant with him, he fights his battles on your behalf? Some of you need to get this in your heart. Why should we not fear? You know, we were praying, my mom and I praying for Sarah and Vanessa. God, give them anointing for breakthrough. Because how many of you know, you try to start something new, there's opposition, especially in a dark place. You're right on the neighborhood of sex trafficking, all kinds of perversion and demonic strongholds. But God is a warrior. God likes fighting. He likes fighting his enemies. And, he, and you know what? He wins. He's a winner. And he doesn't win sometimes. He wins all the time. He's the Lord of hosts. Very quickly here, I love this. Psalm 24, verses 8 through 10. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up, ancient gates. Open up, you ancient doors. And let the King of glory enter. Who is this King of glory? Listen, He is the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King of glory. He is a champion. He is without rival. He is undefeated. And our marriage to Him is backed up by the full force 
of infinite might and power. That's your partner. Don't fear. Put away the shame. Move ahead. This is your partner. Number four. God says, I'm your redeemer. Look at Jeremiah 50, verses 33 and 34. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, there's that name again, says to you. The people of Israel and Judah have been wronged. Their captors hold them and refuse to let them go. But, look at verse 34, but the one who redeems them is strong. His name is the Lord of heaven's armies, and he will defend them. Uh, Psalm 111, verse 9 He, the Lord of heaven's armies, has paid a full ransom for his people. Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. And listen, his redemption overflows. I shared with you last week, the only way to get free from brokenness and guilt and shame and fear is to take all the broken stuff, and put it in the hands of the one who takes messes and turns them into masterpieces. Isn't that amazing? Sarah and Vanessa, I'm just picking on them because they got up here and shared this morning, but when you guys first came here, you were so broken. I mean, Cyril has come so far, he was so broken, could hardly make eye contact, was just almost like a, a, a whipped dog. You know, when a dog with a tail between your legs and, and just, just broken. And now to think how God has so healed you. He's such a lover of people. He's so great. Whenever he gathers life group around and loves these guys and challenges these guys and mentors these guys, and to see God take somebody who had his tail between his legs and turn him into somebody who can look other people in the face, who can speak to other people, love other people, and mentor other people. It's a miracle of God. Miracle. Vanessa, her own issues, brokenness. I remember at an encounter week and you getting powerfully set free. I mean, rocked. I mean, radical. I mean, serious uh, power of God, power encounter in her life. And isn't it amazing? God takes these, these little tiny ladies who are so petite, and in the spirit, though, he partners with them, and then they're like giants in God. Uh, and that's the way Vanessa is. She's a, she's a radical disciple maker. She loves Jesus. She loves the heart of God. She loves to speak forth the word of the Lord. She's fiery. She's feisty. Not because she's Latin, because she's Holy Ghost Latin, all right? She's Latin with God. That's a, that's a dangerous combination right there, all right? How does this happen? And I'm just, is, let me ask you this question. Is God a respecter of people? Does God have certain people that he does certain things for but other people? Nah, sorry. Is that the way God is? No. I'm telling you their story because their story can be your story. God is a redeemer. He buys back. He purchases us back from the devil. He breaks the power of our chains. And he takes the garbage heap of our lives and turns it into something rich. He makes fertilizer out of all the you-know-what that we've had to go through. All right. Number five, very quickly, God says, I am the Holy One. It's interesting to me. Again, when you read through the Gospels and Jesus shows up and he starts preaching and teaching, this is amazing. The devils don't say, oh, you're Jesus. You're the demonstration of the love of God. Oh, you're Jesus. You're, you're a demonstration of the mercy of God. That's not what they're saying. This is what they say. We know who you are. I mean, I have often thought about this. Could you imagine if we were in church one morning and we're preaching the gospel and all of a sudden somebody stands up with a shriek? 
maybe it's a woman with a male voice, all right, uh, and says, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Wah! I mean, we'd all have the skin go up on the back of our neck. Or you know what I'm talking about. That's what happened when Jesus showed up in church. When somebody was demonized, the demon couldn't hide in the presence of the Great One. And I want you to notice what they said. They didn't say, we know who you are. You're just loving and forgiving and kind. That's not what they said. What stirred them up was the holiness of God. Isn't that awesome? You are the Holy One. Now listen, to, this is why that so stirred them up. Because listen, only a Holy One can deliver an unholy people. One of the most outstanding traits on our behalf because none of us in this room are holy. We're holy in Christ, but on our own, we got problems. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. I'm paired up. I'm partnered. I'm in covenant with the Holy One. So when the devil comes up and starts, you're a loser. Al, you're a loser. I'm going to shame you. You just hold your arm to your bridegroom God. You look at your ring finger because you're married to the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, yeah, you think that's true? Well, take a look at my bridegroom here. He's the Holy One. I'm with him. Shuts his lousy, bad breath mouth up right there, all right? It takes a Holy One to redeem a broken people, fearful people, guilty people, shameful people. He's your partner. He's a Holy One. And let me end with this, because it's the trump card. The trump card of everything. Look at number six. God says, I am the God of all the earth. Aren't you grateful? You know, there's that passage in the Bible when they, the enemy was trying to plot against the children of Israel, and they said, you know, their God, I think, is the God of the mountains. I don't know if he's the God of the valleys, you know, because they had territorial spirits and territorial gods, and some of them worked in the mountains, and some of them worked in the valleys, and some of them worked here and there. But here's what God says. I am the God of the whole earth. In other words, the scope of my authority is far-reaching. So here's the cool thing. If He's our God and our champion and our Redeemer and our Maker and our Bridegroom God here in Crown Point, that's good news. But, ah, it's bad news because Sarah and Vanessa are going to Cambodia. I don't know if He's all those things in Cambodia. I got good news. He is all those things in Cambodia, in Mongolia. Even those guys trying to get over the barrel. He's their God. He can partner with them. Throw them right over the barrel, all right? Um, There is not a place in the cosmos where all those six things we just shared about God are not absolutely true. So let me ask you a question. What are our excuses again for not moving into this next season? You know, our our primary focus has been on our expansion. I don't know about you. I can't wait about seeing all this materialize because it's going to facilitate a whole bunch of vision and ministry in this place. But I just want to give you uh, a little secret. These fingernails, I'm not chewing on them. I'm not staying up at night going, how are we going to fund all this? You know what I'm doing? I'm just meditating on the greatness of my partner. We have a partner in this. He's awesome. Like, Lord, I've never done this before. He goes, got it covered. Remember those building projects in the Bible? They were a little bit more expensive. That, even that tent was a little bit more expensive. I got this covered. Lord, you know what? I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm the leader to do it. 
you know what? No problem. You're with me. I can take you through this. I'll show you the ropes. I mean, you know, every single excuse we could come up with vanishes because of verse 5. So this week, I just want you to med- meditate on verse 5. You say, man, you know, God, I know you're big. I know you're out there. But do you love me? Hello, I'm your husband. Hello, I, I shed my blood for you. I rejoice over you. All right, that's good. Lord, but I feel so unworthy. I'm the Holy One. But Lord, I'm so broken. I'm the Redeemer. Hmm, what other excuse can I come up with? All right, that's the whole point. Those six things cover every excuse you can possibly muster. And so at the end of the day, just surrender to the fact that you're going to be a winner. Just surrender to the fact that God's going to take you places. And listen, I mean, you know, there are certain people, like if you're trying a new ride out at the amusement park, there's two types of people. The one type of person says, I can't wait to experience this. It's going to be awesome. The other person says, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like that. And so, you know, I always used a little bit of deception whenever I was introducing my kids to certain rides because once you got to the end and the thing clicked, sorry, oh, this isn't the lazy river. <laughs> I got you. I got you on that one. Ah, and then when they got done, after the blood came back into their face, that you know, and they could talk again, usually it was like, that was awesome. Guess what? The Christian life is not meant to be the lazy river. It's meant to be, <laughs> wow, that was awesome. All right? I think I just spit on three people. I get, all right. Stand to your feet. I want you to lock faith with me this morning. And can you just believe, God, that it's time to, to let the click happen? You're, you're, you're going to join us. Next week, it's D-Day. Next week, we're believing God. Come on. It is so awesome to believe God. It's awesome to have a big vision. It's awesome to say, God, let's go. I want to see you do some things. So, Lord, here we are. We've just got a lecture on all that you are, Lord, your resume. And, Lord, we just embrace it. What an awesome partner we have. We're not going through life on our own. We're not trying to figure this out by ourselves. We're not relying on our own resources, Lord. We're partnered and we're in covenant, unbreakable covenant, a blood covenant with our king and he is the lord of all of heaven's armies god what a we are set up totally for success so we just speak to the enemy today the accuser of our souls and we just say devil you're a liar we're not going to listen to you whatever the guilt and shame of our past we we repent of it we bring it to the cross we let the blood of jesus wipe it out and lord we're we're, we're unhinged we are absolutely free to run with you and to do the things that you have created us. The masterpieces, the, the poems, Lord, that you've written, all the stuff that was in you. When you thought about each one of us, every dream in your heart that was expressed in our DNA and in our life, Lord, may it fully come to pass. May we be love letters back to you for your honor and for your glory. And we pray this all now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.